Father, our hearts and minds very much uh, right now are on people in Japan. And uh, Father, can't imagine what they're going through. And I would ask that you would uh, give wisdom to those in leadership and strengthen them in every way they need it. And strengthen, Father, uh, each person in that nation. Give them courage. We ask for your protection. Father, for those right now who are in danger, and Father, sustain uh, doctors, nurses, um, everyone working, Father, um, rescue workers. And Father, we pray for the church in Japan, that you would strengthen believers to uh, show the love of Jesus Christ at this time. Father, we're grateful that we can be uh, sending a team to Zambia, We ask, Father, that you will guide them uh, the whole way, trip there and the time there and time and coming back. Father, give them uh, your your great love for the for um, the adults and children that they're ministering to, and guide them in their teaching and every part of their ministry. And we ask that you'd use them, Father, Christ's name, Amen. Yeah, it's. You want to make sure and take that insert, um, put it on wherever you pray, or and be praying every day for this um, next two weeks as the tri- uh, as our team goes. <clears throat> I think one of the things uh, about life is absolutely the coolest is God's personal care for each one of us, to the point that God involves Himself in the transformation of our character. That God works through the circumstances of our life to become everything that God intends us to be. I mean, that, I mean, really, just think about that. Is that awesome or what? I mean, it's, it doesn't get any better than that. And I think you'd agree with me that each one of us have our own set of, of character flaws when we come into a relationship with God through Christ. And some of those flaws we recognize ourselves, and we know they're there. And then there's others that we're absolutely clueless to. You know, we just don't see them. Other people see them. The good thing we can count on is that God sees each and every one, and God knows what to do to help us deal with them. And it doesn't always feel good. It's it's often not what we choose, what we'd like when we're in the midst of it, but it's always what's best for us. This morning, we're going we're gonna to see one example of this in what God did for Jacob to begin this process of spiritual transformation in his life, forming him to be the kind of man God wanted him to be. And, and, and I, I could be wrong, but I, I think we're, we can all relate to Jacob's experience. And through it, God helped Jacob understand that God was with him and would guide and protect him that God cared for him. The title of this series is In His Grasp. And I titled it that way for two reasons. One is that Jacob wanted control of his life. He wanted to keep it in his grasp. And what he needed to understand is that he had every reason to let go and be willing to put his life in the grasp of of Almighty God. And I know about you, but I, I just like totally relate to that. And when I look at Jacob, I feel like I'm looking at me when it comes to that issue. 
This morning, we're, we're, we're coming to Jacob after he's been messing with God's plan for his life. And, it, and what we saw last week, it wasn't something that he did on, on his own. He, it, it was a family deal. Both of his parents, Isaac and Rebekah, and his brother Esau shared equally in creating the situation that they now find themselves. And the result of this was a broken family. With Esau determined to murder his brother and Jacob on the run. So if you, if I, if you read the end of chapter 27 in Genesis, you'll, uh, one of the things you, you, you discover is that <clears throat> Rebecca intervenes to protect the son she loves. And she does this by getting Isaac's support for Jacob to leave home and go to her family to find, to find a wife. And so this brings us to chapter 28, verse 1, and we, we read this. Uh, so Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him and commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Paddan Amram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. Now, a little family history might be good. So we put up a family tree as I talk about this. Uh, The whole deal began with a guy by the name of Terah, and uh, he had three sons, Isaac's father, Abraham, was one of them, and he had two brothers, Nahar and Haran. And Nahar married a woman by the name of Milcal, and one of their sons was a man by the name of Bethuel. And uh, Bethuel had a, a, da- a daughter named Rebecca, Rebecca of our story, and a son named Laban. We're also told that they still lived in the place Abraham left when he obeyed God's call in his life, and, and went to Canaan. You might be familiar with this. When it came time for Abraham and Sarah's son Isaac to get married, they sent a servant back to Bethuel to get a wife for him from one of Bethuel's children. And this is how Isaac ended up marrying Rebekah. You can read about that in chapter 24. Now Isaac and Rebekah are doing the same thing for Jacob, except this time they're sending Jacob himself back home to get a wife. And the wife you'll find is is the daughter of Rebecca's uh, brother, Laban. And so it's Laban that Jacob's headed out to meet, and he's living in the town of Haran in an area called Paddan Amram. So verse 10, chapter 28, we read this. Jacob left Beersheba and set set out for Haran. Now, here's here's a map to give you a visual of where Jacob's headed. We're, uh, we're, we're talking about a trip that's just short of, of 600 miles. It would be like us walking to Denver or to Dallas. Uh, so you can see down there toward the bottom, Beersheba, and at the very top, top Heron. Uh, not a short or easy trip, especially if you're walking, especially considering the terrain of the land. We're, we're not talking the same landscape we, we'd find between Omaha and Denver or Omaha and Dallas. Jacob's looking at a lot of hills and even mountains that, that he's got to track through. And, he, and, he, and you know what? He's not going to find any subways. All right? No subways, no Perkins, no Burger Kings, and none of that. At the most, he's got what he has on the back of a donkey and, and what he can hunt on the way. Which, if you think about it, that must have been kind of interesting. Because what wasn't Jacob? He wasn't a hunter. 
He was a great cook. He knew what to do with wild game. He just wasn't into hunting it down. Remember what I said a couple of weeks ago? Esau is macho man and Jacob is nacho man. All right? All right? So Jacob did the cooking. He didn't do the hunting. Which brings up another thing that gives us some perspective on what this 600-mile journey north meant for David or, or for Jacob. Remember what else was said about Jacob that under, helps us understand what he, what he was like? It's found in chapter 25, verse 27, <clears throat> where, where we read this. <clears throat> the boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was a quiet man, staying among the tents. Uh, he liked it at home. What, what's that called? He was a homebody, you know? It wasn't the, he, he wasn't the, the wild at heart kind of a guy, but now he's a man on the run, all right? Now, it's true that he's 40 years old, but I think it's also true. The longer you're a certain way, the more you're that way. So any way you look at it, this was not Jacob's idea of a good time, Right? Esau would have been going, oh, man, this is great, you know. Love it. Not Jacob. I'm guessing he was a man nervously looking over his shoulder. I'm guessing he was frightened. And, you know, frightened of what was ahead. He had a very uncertain future. I'd say that for Jacob at the moment, Isaac's blessing and his birthright seemed a long way off. He's probably thinking it's never going to happen. So look at this, verse 11. Verse 11. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had, had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. Here's, an, here's a guy whose idea of camping would be the Beersheba Hilton. Okay? Uh, but now he's out in the open. All right? He says, the stars above and it's dark and the only pillow that he's got is, is a stone, you know, kind of like this. Not, not, not all that comfortable, all right? And no, I thought about laying down and trying it with for you, but I'm not going to. Um, so there, there you go. And um, <clears throat> in fact, what, what I, this is my pillow. Um, it's used to my head, and my head is used to it. I, I like this pillow. Did anybody relate to that? Do you, do you have your pillow? You know, like when, when Becky changes the sheets on the bed, I want to make sure I get my pillow back. And she doesn't give me her pillow because she's got a different pillow, kind of pillow than I've got. All right? Now, here's what I think. I think this one sentence, verse 11, pretty much sums up the situation Jacob finds himself in. He's, he's lived a lifetime at home, pretty well taken care of by the wealth of his parents because Isaac was a wealthy man. And now all he's got is the stone his head is resting on and the clothes on his back. And he's facing a long and difficult and frightening journey and a very uncertain future. And now he's bedded down for the night in some desolate Desolate, rocky, lonely hills. Anybody ever been in a place like this in your life? Perhaps you're there now. In your own way, you're stuck in your own dark, lonely night that's filled with uncertainty. It might be a difficult marriage that you know is headed for divorce. It could be that, that you've lost your job. 
It might be the, a life-threatening illness. It might be your first AA meeting. It could be that you're stuck in endless depression. It could be the loneliness that comes without any real friends in your life. I mean, I just go on and give one example after another. <clears throat> of desolate places that we can find ourselves in in this journey of life. And it's at times like this that we need the assurance that God, that God cares for us, that God is with us and God will protect and guide us. And I'd say that every time we experience God's loving care, so we know that it's true, it is, it is one significant way that God transforms our character. We trust God a little bit more than we did before or a lot more. And in this trust, we allow God to be God of our life. For Jacob, experiencing God's care happened through a dream. And it was then that he learned that he was not alone. So this brings us to verse verse 12. Verse 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth. with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants the land in which you're lying. This land right here, God says, it's going to be yours. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and the south, and All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. And I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Now, I've had some good dreams, and I'm sure you have. But none of them like this. And by that, by that, I mean two things. None of them where I think God actually gave me that dream, and none of them where what I was dreaming was actually happening. You see, most dreams are are windows into our minds. Jacob's dream that night was a window into another dimension. He saw a reality that we're not equipped to see in ourselves. You see, there really was a stairway resting on earth and reaching into heaven. And angels were descending, uh, 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 ascending and descending on this stairway. And even more remarkable than this... God was there, and God really, really did speak these words to Jacob. Jacob had heard them from his father Isaac. Now he hears them from God himself, and I'd say that's quite a difference. And not only does he hear the promise of God's blessing, he he hears the promise of God's presence and God's protection. God promises to see him All the way through. You know what, everybody? This was truly a life-changing moment in Jacob's life. 
And I would say that what Jacob learned that night is true for all of us. No matter where, where life takes us, God is with us. God is with you and God is with me. Jacob thought he had stumbled onto a holy place no one knew about the, the, the one secret passage from heaven to earth. How awesome is this place, he cried. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. But here's what's true, everybody. The stairway from heaven was there because Jacob was there and God was with Jacob. And what was true for Jacob is true for you and true for me. There's a stairway from God to you wherever you are. Yeah, Feel free to say amen. Really, honestly. I just finished reading the Gospel of John in my personal time in Scripture before I, you know, first thing in the morning before I come to work. And, and uh, Jacob's dream of a stairway reminds me of what Jesus said to a man named Nathaniel when he called him to be one of his disciples. And John wrote about this in the first chapter. Of his gospel. So John chapter 1, in verse 43, we read this. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. And Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. And Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. <clears throat> And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe? You believe because I told you? I saw you under the fig tree. You're going to see greater things than this. And then he added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There's a lot that could be said from this passage. But I I like us to just note this one thing that applies to Jacob's experience, Nathaniel's experience, and our own experience with God. And it's found in that last statement in verse 51, where Jesus said, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Jacob's dream, he saw angels ascending and ascending on a stairway leading from heaven to earth. Here Jesus tells Nathaniel that he's going to have a Jacob-like experience with one difference. You know what it is? Who's the stairway from heaven, from, from earth to heaven in what Jesus says Nathaniel's going to see? Who's the stairway? Huh? Jesus Christ. So the big truth is this, everybody. There's a stairway from God to you and me wherever we are because Jesus is with us and Jesus is the stairway from from earth to heaven. I'm waiting for an amen. 
I mean, that's awesome. And that reminds me of another passage, Hebrews chapter 4, my 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 favorite set of verses, Hebrews 4, uh, uh, verses 14. In fact, it's uh, favorite ones are go all the way back to verse 12, but verse 14 to verse 16, and, and I've got them memorized, but you know how that goes. When you say them in front of people, you forget. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, listen to this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. And then look at what it says. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of what? Need. See, you and I can always climb the stairway to God's throne because Jesus Christ is the stairway and he's our Savior. Now, I, we could just stop right there and go, praise God, let's worship God. Okay, but not only did Jacob learn that God was with him that night, he learned that God would protect him for many more nights to come, not only for the rest of his journey to Haran, but beyond that throughout the rest of his life. So there's a statement in verse 15, and and it's this. Ah, I love colds. Look at that statement, verse 15. God said, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. You know what? Read the rest of the book of Genesis, which a lot of it is about Jacob. And you'll see that God not only protects him during these years that he's away from home, fast forward to the end of his life to when he's an old man, and you'll see that God protected him and his family through one of his sons, Joseph. When there was famine in Canaan and they would have starved, God had Joseph ahead of them and brought them to Egypt, and they survived. Which brings me to my favorite chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. And, um, and I love this. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 Paul asks a question, and then he answers it with his promise from God. And so the question is in verse 35. He, he said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Is trouble going to do it, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? He said, you know, as it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he answers his question with this amazing promise of God's protection. He said, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons... Neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm waiting. (laughs) 
There's one more promise God gave Jacob that night. It's tucked right in the middle of verse 15. It said, God's going to bring him home. He said, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. It took 20 years, but God did bring him home to Canaan. The land God promised him. We all have our promised land too, don't we? What's it called? Heaven. And we have this promise that wherever life takes us, God is going to ultimately bring us home. In John's gospel, in the the 13th chapter, Jesus is talking with his disciples about his death and that he's going to soon leave them. And and they're very anxious and they're worried about this, what it's going to mean for them, to which Jesus responds with this promise. And it's, it's a promise that's ours. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house, heaven, are many rooms. And if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm not kidding, he said. It's really the truth. He said, I'm going, to, I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, he said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you so that you can be with me where I've been living for eternity. Yeah, thank you. Only one? Only one of you excited about that? Okay. Really? The way Jacob responded to his dream, to this discovery that God cared for him, is an important part of his story, and it's an important part of our story. So look at this. In chapter 28, in verse 18, we read this. Early in the morning, he's awake. Jacob took the stone, this, this stone right here, all right? This is the stone. And, well, not really, but, and, and he, you know, and, and he set it up as a pillar. So he set it up like this. This could stand. It can't. Okay? And he poured oil on top of it. You know what he, he did? He takes the stone that had been his pillow and he turns it into an altar to God. He makes this a place of worship. He worships God. And in this act of worship, Jacob made a vow. Look at what he said, verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house. Then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all of what you give me. I will give you a tenth. Listen, everybody, Jacob isn't hedging his bets here. He isn't saying, God, if you will, then I will. He's simply saying, God, if you will help me, I'll fulfill this commitment. You see, he's acknowledging the fact that he cannot do this himself, that he needed God's help, which you know what, everybody, is a huge deal because it's his first step to placing his life in God's grasp. His vow had three parts. First of all, he's committing himself to God. He's saying, God, you're going to be my God. 
Yeah. And second, he's saying that he would always remember this place and what it meant in his own life. He said, this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And then third, get this, everybody. He promised to give back to God a tenth of everything that God gave him. He said, of all that you give me, God, I'm going to give you back a tenth. You know what I've discovered in my 30 years of ministry, and actually 35, five years before coming here? Is that if there's anything that believers want to hang on to and keep control of, it's their money. And I believe with all my heart that it's one of the biggest issues that we've got to deal with in our spiritual life for God to truly be God of our life where we're obedient to God and we do trust God and we do obey God and we give to God the first tenth of everything that God gives us. It's not a small deal, everybody. It's a big deal. All of God's promises to Jacob, our promises God makes to us to be with us, to protect us, and bring us home to heaven. Amazing promises. Promises worthy of our total surrender to God as God of our life. Promises to remember the next time we face a challenge greater than we can face alone. Promises deserving of our commitment to give back to God a tenth of everything that God gives us. Now do I hear an amen? Oh, come on. Come on. All right. Let's pray. And so, Father, I ask, give us the strength to allow you to be God of our life, to remember your faithfulness to us in the past and trust you in the future. And God, to give back to you a tenth of everything that you give us and to do it with joy and with gratitude, trusting you. Now, here's an idea, everybody. Oh, amen. Sorry. Here's an idea. Each time you walk up a stairway, remember Jacob, and God's care for him and God's care for you. Huh. So let's stand for one last song. And I think given our sermon today, don't you think it would be appropriate for Rob and, and the, to, to play Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven? Just joking. All right. <laughs>